0: One of the things I hope some of you have thought about is that this concept of God creating time used to be just a theological idea. One of the things that has happened in the last 25 years has been the development of quantum mechanics. And what has happened in the last six months is that quantum mechanics has now verified completely that time is a created thing, it is an entity. And that there is an existence outside of time. And this is opening a whole new field of physics. So the more we know of the creation, the closer we get to the creator. And this topic that we're gonna spend a few minutes with right now is very personal for me, as you will see. I'd like to start out by reminding you about John, the ninth chapter, beginning with verse one. The Bible says that as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him and said, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Let me stop here for just a minute. Have you ever seen a blind baby? Ever seen a child born without the ability to see? I had a son born blind. A baby unable to see. I tell you, folks, that's not one of life's fun experiences. To have your baby unable to reach out for the rattle, unable to reach out for the bottle, unable to imitate. You know, do all the cute, rewarding things that babies do. I watched my wife for weeks move my child's hand from the high chair to his mouth trying to teach him how to feed himself. Simple stuff. And here was a baby that was born in that condition. And did you notice the disciples had it all figured out? Master, who did the sinning? This man or his parents? That he was born blind. In the minds of the followers of Jesus at that point, the only explanation for pain and suffering was sin. They just wanted to nail the guilty party. Look at verse 3. Jesus answered and said, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents. Jesus says it's not always sin, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. What? But that the works of God should be made manifest in him. What in the world was Jesus talking about? I want us to talk about that for a few minutes. The first point that I want to make here is that we need to understand the atheist has no answer to this. You know, it's easy for skeptics and atheists to poke fun at the Bible, but they have no answer themselves. Yesterday, I called your attention to River Out of Eden with Richard Dawkins, required reading in most college introductory philosophy courses. It's an ignorant writing, and yet is the foundation of a lot of philosophy. And notice the part we did yesterday. The universe we observe has precisely the property we should expect if there is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Really? Really? How does that help you? I had an atheist friend in South Bend who had a baby born with the same problem my Tim has except actually their child was not as bad he was blind and he was mentally challenged but he didn't have all the other stuff and my atheist friend said to me there's only one logical answer to this and I didn't understand what he had in mind he took the baby out in the backyard and he shot it and then he turned the gun around and he killed himself and he left a note for his wife that said I've done the only logical thing I can do (laughs) yeah for an atheist yeah for an atheist maybe that's the only thing i tell you, you'll see in a few minutes, I've already shown you a little bit. My son was an incredible blessing to me. That book that I showed you the title of, and by the way, I've left some copies of that with Robert. You can borrow them. The title of the book is Timothy, my son and my teacher. I'm a different human being today because of the life of my son, Tim. But the atheist has no answer. But we hit this early. And I'm going to skip a few things here in the interest of time. I want you to notice that there are a lot of silly explanations out there. Some of these are from the pulpit, folks. I'm not sure preachers ought to try and preach a sermon on human suffering unless they've had some. Because some of you, if you haven't been there, you know the old Joe Cocker song, Walk a Mile in My Shoes? You, you probably don't know. But I've had people say, well, i had people tell me this when all this stuff was going on. My son said, John, God is testing you. Oh, come on. God doesn't need to test me. God is an all-knowing God. He knows that I'm a rotten human being, that I am weak, that I am sinful. God doesn't need to do some kooky experiment to figure out whether I'm worthy or not. I'm not worthy. We just had a discussion about grace. That's silly. Somebody says, well, God just wound it up and let it go. Remember the passage we talked about last session in Acts 17? In him we live and move and have our being. That's a silly explanation. But there's another logical explanation. I'm going to rattle your cage here a little bit. I want you to think. Think, 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 think! Think! God did not create evil. God did not create evil. Well, the Bible says there is nothing God cannot do. Oh, yes, there are. There's some things God cannot do. He cannot lie. And he cannot create evil. You say, well... Well, then, where'd evil come from? See, our problem here is we don't understand what evil is. We treat evil like it's a thing. Like a rock. You say, oh, look, God made a rock. Oh, look, God made a big pile of evil. (laughs) Come on, think. God is a choice. Evil is a choice. The Bible says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he does not tempt any man. Let me tell you something, folks. The bad stuff that's happened in your life didn't come from God. It didn't come from God. I had people tell me, well, God, God sent that, that blind, retarded, physically impaired child to you because he wanted you to have a challenge. I don't need any challenge. Evil is not a thing. Somebody says, well, the Bible says so. Watch out here. Isaiah 45, 5, 45, 7 says, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace. And the King James says, and create evil. But the word used here for evil in the Hebrew language is disaster. Let me ask you something. Are all disasters evil? Come on now. Think, think, think. Are all disasters evil? Are hurricanes a disaster? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But they're not evil. If you live in Northern Florida, if you live a 30 degree latitude, you know something about the importance of hurricanes. See, one of the problems that happens at 30 degrees latitude is that worldwide, All the deserts of the world are located at 30 degrees latitude with a few rain shadow exceptions called, those are called rain shadows, but 30 degrees is part of the Hadley cell. Don't worry about that. The point is 30 degrees latitude runs through Northern Florida and Northern Florida would be a desert if it were not for hurricanes. Georgia would be a desert. Southern Alabama would be a desert if it were not for hurricanes. When I was a kid, hurricanes were a blessing. Hurricanes were not a problem because we had barrier islands that absorbed the storm surge. And it was a time when the water supplies got recharged. So we used to have hurricane parties celebrating when the hurricanes came through. But mankind has stripped the barrier islands, has provided an open path for hurricanes to come in, and the result has been incredible pain and suffering. We've even been stupid enough to build a city below sea level and then gripe when it gets flooded. The stupidity of humans is incredible. But those are disasters and they're not evil. They're part of the system that governs the earth. So Isaiah 45.7 is not talking about what we're talking about, it's talking about, that's talking about the natural things which may be a disaster for humans because of the stupidity with which we do our constructions. Little thinking person's tool here. There is part of physics which is called the law of parity. Very useful law. What it says is that in any closed system, there is always a mirror image. Well, you, you know that. It says if you got a left hand, you're going to have a right hand. Got a left eye, you're going to have a right eye. If you're going to have a positive, you're going to have a negative. And God has created beings other than ourselves. And these beings have created with the ability to choose Whether evil comes into existence as a consequence of the existence of good or whether that is rejected. And look what this says. God has created beings other than ourselves and they have been given the ability to choose between good and evil. You see, evil is a conscious choice of a sentient human being. Animals don't participate in evil. Yeah, I know, you've seen enough Disney movies to think that's not true. But snakes aren't evil. Lions are not evil. They are part of the ecological system and are critical for the survival of that system. The parity principle says that evil is a consequence of good. And as a result of that, we have to make choices. And the Bible tells us, God did not spare angels that sinned. There were beings that are not physical in nature that chose to embrace evil. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. Read it. Angels that sinned, angels can sin. But cast them into hell and delivered them in chains of darkness to be reserved against judgment. Another example, Jude 6. The angels which kept not their first estate. Okay, push you to think here a little bit. Angels are not subject to time. Now think about this. Angels are not subject to time. In order to repent, what do you need? You need time to repent, don't you? I'm thankful I was given enough time to repent of the terrible sins that were a part of my earlier life. But once an angel sins, since they are outside of time, repentance is not possible. I've had atheists say to me, well, why can't the atheists just repent and have it all done? Because once you have made your choice as an angel, it is irreversible. By the way, somebody says, Well, what happens if you're in heaven and you sin? You can't do it, you're outside of time. Once I get to the other side, and I'm getting closer every day, I won't have to worry about it anymore. Thank God. I can get free of temptation because I am a human being. I have a spiritual nature. And you say, well, I don't understand why that's so important. Okay, turn up your hearing aid, here we go again. There are a lot of things in your life that are critical because you have the choice between good and evil. You hear me? There are a lot of things in your life that are important because you have a choice. And the most serious and obvious of these is love. How is it possible for somebody to love you? Because they have the choice not to love you. If they didn't have the choice, love would not be possible. That's true of all kinds of love. Let me make the most obvious one to you, which Jonathan talked about in the last session. If there is sexual love without choice, what do we call it? Yeah, rape. Is rape love? Oh, no. Rape is the deliberate, malicious exploitation of another human being. It has nothing to do with love. You really want to live in a world with no love? I thought Jonathan did a marvelous job of that in our last session. I hope you swallowed that and will chew on it. So it's important. And the Bible gives countless representations of that, of where choice is important. God has always made choice an integral part. Go back and read Deuteronomy 28. This is a cool passage. I'm going to give you a Clayton translation. He starts out in verse 2 and says, okay, folks, here's the deal. If you will live as I call you to live, if you will do what I've told you to do, if you will avoid what I've told you to avoid, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be healthy. Your kids are going to be strong. Your crops are going to be good. The earth will feed you properly. And he goes on from verse 2 through verse 14 and tells them all the wonderful things that will happen if they will just live as God has called them to live. And then he picks it up in verse 15. And for 53 verses, he says, But if you refuse to live as I have called you to live, then here are going to be the consequences. You're going to get sick. You're going to have disease. Your crops will fail. Your enemies will take you over. And he goes on and on and on. Oh, well, given that choice, the Israelites will certainly live as God has called them to live, right? No, you know the history of Israel, don't you? and look at America today. Look at America today. We're doing the same thing, aren't we? Why am I enthusiastic? I've been in this ministry now for 54 years. Why am I enthusiastic about showing people you can know there is a God And you can know that the Bible is God's word and it makes sense to live as God has called you to live because that is the only hope humanity has. Folks, we're not just playing games at these workshops. We're talking a fundamental question of what do we want the earth to survive to be? So this is life and death. This is a major part of our existence. We are in a war. Jonathan used that term earlier. We are in a war and the enemy uses spiritual warfare in attacking us. And Jonathan quoted this passage. Have you thought of the implications of it? We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Folks, that's not where our battle is. But against principalities, against the powers, against the ruins of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Another example, I love this passage. And for some reason, it's gone untapped by many of us. Look what this says. God's purpose. Why am I here? Why do we exist? What is the purpose of the church? Read it. God's purpose is that the powers and authorities in heavenly realms, those who have embraced evil, Satan and his angels, the entire book of Revelation from chapter three on, in heavenly place, you should now see the complex wisdom of God's plan being worked out through the church. Brothers and sisters, what we're here this weekend for, what the church is about, what the purpose is for our existence, is just God has a job for us to do. You know what the weakest thing about atheism is? It offers no purpose at all for existence. Why is our suicide rate in this country the highest it's ever been in our history? Especially in your age group. Why? Because atheism has robbed our people of understanding they have a reason to be. We are in a war, a fundamental question of why we exist. And it's important to understand that this is a very biblical perspective. Let me do you a Clayton paraphrase. <laughs> Job one and two. There was a day when the angels of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan was among them. The Lord said to Satan, where you been? Oh, I've been hacking around the earth. Oh, yeah? Hey, have you seen my buddy Job? How about Job, Satan? He has nothing to do with your crummy system. (laughs) The King James says, he showeth evil. I don't use that word, showeth, a whole lot in my regular conversation, so I looked it up. Know what it means? It means to run away in a panic. (laughs) Ha! Job had nothing to do with Satan's offerings. And Satan says, Well, of course not, God. You you put a hedge around him. He doesn't have any problems. His kids never get sick. Nobody ever dies. His crops never fail. You bribed him, God. And God says, Okay. All right, go ahead. Take that stuff away. I think he'll stay with me. Chapter 2, again, the angels of God came to present themselves before certain that Satan was among them. The Lord said, Satan, we have you been? I've been hacking around the earth, going back and forth to and fro. Hey, my buddy, you see my buddy Job? I'll let you take away everything, and he's still with me. What do you think about Satan? And Satan says, okay, you won that one. Let me touch his body, and he'll spit in your face. And God says, Okay. Go ahead, touch his body. But don't kill him. There's a limit. First Corinthians 15 says, there's no temptation, but such as is common to man, for God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to endure, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape. But don't kill him. And you know what happens. Job has a terrible time. And you say, well, that was a terrible thing for God to let Job go through. He didn't deserve that. Well, how did Job look at it? And look at this carefully. Job 42, verse 5. Job says, Lord, before all this happened to me, I had heard of thee by the hearing of the ear. But now... Now I see you, God, because He sees a purpose in existence. He knows why He was created. And, brothers and sisters, you can take Job's name out of the book of Job and you can put your name in place of it because you are Job. Or, as my wife Phyllis used to say, Jobette. You know, bad things happen to me I don't like. I've had some things I wish had not happened. I can't stand up here today and tell you I'm glad I had a child born with multiple birth defects. No, I I can't say that. I can't stand up here and tell you that I'm happy that my wife died after 49 years of marriage. No, I can't tell you that. But I know that I have nothing that I cannot endure. I quoted this a minute ago. And I have seen people who just collapsed when something like this happened because they weren't prepared to understand God's promise. And I have seen door after door after door after door after door after door open Because I have been there. I've talked in prisons because I've been incarcerated. I have dealt with people who have a child born with multiple birth defects because I had a child born with multiple birth defects. I have talked to men and sometimes women who have lost their soulmate because I lost mine. But understand something. God's will is not always done. There are things that happen that are not God's will. Bible says it is not God's will that anybody should perish, but that all should inherit eternal life. That all shall come to repentance. Is anybody going to be lost? Of course. That's not God's will. See, there are things that God enjoys, There are things that God says are going to (laughs) happen. And then there are things that we say to God, okay, God, here's what I want you to do. And he doesn't always say, okay, I'll do it your way. There are things that happen that are not God's will. But we have a God who cares. Yeah, life is hard. I think I'm still the oldest person in the room. Let me tell you something. We have a God who cares. What's the shortest verse in the Bible? Yeah. I mean, you guys read pretty well. 1135. Why did Jesus weep? See, God in the flesh, John 4, 10, came to the earth and saw how much it hurts to lose what you love. And Jesus wept. So when you lost that husband or that wife, Jesus wept. When you lost that mother, when you lost your father, Jesus wept. When your best friend died or betrayed you, Jesus wept. See, we don't have a God that cannot be sympathetic. That cannot understand that. We have a God that has been tempted in every way as have we. So when Jesus lost Lazarus, Jesus wept. We're not going to stand in judgment and say, well, Lord, you don't know how it was. Yeah, he does. And I want to say to you that whatever has happened in your life, if nothing else, can become a ministry for you. I have dealt with the things I've talked about, but we have also worked with brothers and sisters who have had severe problems in life. I knew that was probably going to happen eventually if I kept leaning on it. Thank you, brother. Judy Ragsdale. Had cancer three times. This lady has brought over a hundred people to Christ through cancer. I've prayed with her, I've talked with her. What an amazing woman. Chet McDonnell, I told Robert sometime you ought to have him come here and conduct a singing workshop. One of the greatest song leaders I've ever seen. He's amazing. But he was born with no arms. And with no thighs. But what a voice. He uses what has happened to him as a talent. Ralph Scott. Bear Bryant said he recruited him as a quarterback at the University of Alabama because Bear Bryant said he was the best quarterback he had seen since Joe Namath. And then Ralph got polio. Has spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair and we printed his book I'd offer you my seat the wheelchair but it's taken I have no idea how many people Ralph brought to Christ but he was in a polio sanitarium in Georgia and converted virtually the whole sanitarium to Christ through his polio. I've talked to people who have lost a child. We have a guy that lost a baby and has ministered to couples who have lost a child. My first wife was a diabetic, insulin dependent, started out when she was 10 years old. I gave her 29,000 shots in our marriage. Finally lost her at age 70. She lived 60 years with insulin dependent diabetic. Let me tell you something. If you're a diabetic, you live with it, not for it. And there are great tools now that we didn't even have. She wrote a book called Living with Diabetes. I've I've left copies of all these books with Robert. You will be able to borrow them free of charge. If you're not here, I know a lot of you are from other places. Get in touch with me. I'll be glad to donate them to your campus ministry. And uh, we have children's books. And we have the websites. The problem of human suffering. Yeah, there's hard times. But what a great blessing it is that we have a God who understands and who cares. And can turn it into wonderful blessings for us and for everyone we come in contact with. And the atheist and the skeptic has no answer. They can raise all kinds of evasive philosophies, but they never answer the question of what the purpose is in their own existence. Let's close with a prayer. Father, I thank you so much for our time here together. We don't always understand the things that happen in our lives. And we don't like some of the things that Satan brings upon us. But, Father, we know you are with us. You know we'll not let us get more than we can handle. Give us the strength individually and collectively to oppose the works of Satan. And thank you, Father, for blessing us with the knowledge that right now is the worst thing we'll ever have to put up with, that there is something far better in our future. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
1: All right, let's give a, let's give one more round of applause for John. And uh, I know he hates this, so it's even funnier for me. <laughs> So, we have been doing uh, we have been doing question and answers, um, but we are running behind quite a bit. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to let John answer those questions. Uh, do you want to? Do you think we should do some question and answer now? We're, what do you guys want to do? You want to five questions? All right, we're going to do five questions, and then we're going to take a five minute break. And then we're going to jump into our last session. So, if you have a question, you better, yeah, hey, that's a good idea. A all right, yeah, this is a fundraiser. Who wants to ask a question? <laughs> all right, hold on. Um, I'm not walking this all the way back to the back, if <laughs> This is a good question. Maybe I um, just didn't listen well. But um, I wanted to ask you, if angels are outside of time and they can sin, why can we not sin in heaven?
0: angels sin that puts them outside of heaven because they were in heaven to start with. We will become as the angels. So they don't sin once they're there. Once they sin, they are no longer able to be a part of that. We will be timeless, which means we will be completely outside of time and anything time brings, and sin is time-dependent. You may want to chew on that one a while. So, uh, I have some friends
1: who believe in different religions other than God, and I find it hard to convince them that my religion is like the quote-unquote right religion. So, how would you
0: go about that? Tomorrow morning, our first session at 9 o'clock will be which God should we serve. So, we have material on that. The question would be, where does that religious system take you? Now, did you notice the ones that we made reference to and how much of it didn't fit either our first or our second session? What does Islam say about the nature of God? What does Islam say about marriage? Some of the stuff Jonathan talked about. Is Buddhism in its pure form actually a religion? How about Hinduism? I've talked about evidence. So, my response when somebody says which God is, let's look at the evidence. What is the evidence? What do we see Christianity bringing to planet Earth as opposed to Islam? How about what's happening right now in the Middle East? How about what's happening in Nigeria? What's taking place in China? What is the result? Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. I have a team of people that are a part of different, have been a part of different religions. Stephen Masood was a Muslim scholar. And I have him available for anybody that has questions about Islam. I have another friend, Sibi Sapahanyam, who is part of Hinduism and can respond to that. There is a ton of material out there written by people that have left those religious systems that answers those questions. So I will come back to what I've said all along. Evidence, 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 evidence. What is the evidence? And you know what the atheists will say. Well, look what's happened with Christianity. The Ku Klux Klan, the war in Ireland. Was that stuff done because of what somebody read Jesus saying? Those things are 1,000% in opposition to everything Jesus taught. But I can show you, I had booklets for this, but they've all been picked up. I can show you statements in the Quran in which the Muslim is commanded to war, to polygamy. And that's true of every other system. Jesus Christ was the only one who gave the message, you see, And I'll tell you what I use when I'm talking to somebody like that is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You cannot take the Sermon on the Mount and compare it to anything written in any other religious system and not see the superiority of the Christian system. By their fruits, you shall know them. Tomorrow morning, we'll have a lesson on that, but uh, in our series, we've got five videos on that. So let me encourage you to borrow those and take a look at them. Hello. I hear a
2: voice. <laughs> I think it's come through. Uh, no, got there a, it
0: is. Hello, voice.
2: I've got a question from yesterday. I'm back here, John. Okay. Uh, it was, you said that heaven wasn't a physical place. You now we were talking out of Revelations 21 today, and there's a lot of measurements in Revelation 21 that talk about the streets being made of pure gold. They're clear like glass. Scientists finally figured out that pure gold is clear. Uh, All the 12 different uh, levels of the foundation are gems that only shine to their most brilliance under uh, cross-polarization of straight light, talking about God is light. And I'm just trying to understand why it's not a physical place with all those things mentioned in Revelation 21.
0: What we need to do is to go back to the whole study of Revelation. Numerology, the use of symbols, all of the things that go with the pictures given there. Quite frankly, this is just me, I would much rather sit in a boat in the middle of a lake than sit in any gold city with a bunch of gems around me. Heaven is so much better, heaven is so wonderful that there is absolutely no way you can describe it in anything physical. But the writer of the book of Revelation does the best that can be done in physical terms. And so he uses symbols that are gorgeous. But you know, how really significant is it to have a gold plate? Eh, okay, it's gold plate. That, I, for three or four minutes, I would like to see a gold plate. But that's not gonna take me for eternity, okay? Heaven is outside of time that is so much better than anything you can think of in the physical realm. But if you're going to try and describe it, especially to the people that John is writing to, you do the best you can with what they think is special. And uh, if you talk to a typical redneck guy in Arkansas, what is he going to describe? Catching a big one on a white river. (laughs) <laughs> so I got all kinds of nods on that one <laughs> a lot better than a gold plate I, I just think those were symbols that are done for a purpose
2: it, it just is amazing that they talked about pure gold back then that didn't take for thousands of years to figure out it was transparent yeah and then to find out I just found out about it you know a couple weeks ago about the the cross-polarization and having straight light, those gems that are mentioned are just amazing underneath straight light that even diamonds don't show, and that's one of the ones that are uh, uh, excluded from the foundation. So I was just wondering what you thought about yeah. you know, the scientific proofs of that, that we had no idea when it was written by.
0: Well, that's uh, exactly the point. Let me make a point here that would apply to a lot of these questions. When you read the Bible, I say to people, you need to take the Bible literally. What does that mean? It means you look at who wrote it, who they wrote it to, why they wrote it, and how the people to whom it was written would have understood it. In the book of Revelation, you've got some images that they couldn't have possibly understood, and you just made reference to some of them. So was Revelation just written to people living at the time of John? Well, the part that deals with the Roman Empire, yes, but not the chapters you're talking about. That was written for all of us, including what we have only learned in recent times. That's a classic demonstration of the fact that the Bible is not the work of man because it picks up stuff we have just discovered recently. And I made reference to the business about time in my presentation today. Time, we now know, is something that is a created thing. That comes out of quantum mechanics. Did Genesis 1-1 know about quantum mechanics? Of course not. But the Bible is written in such a way that the best knowledge of our day and time simply verifies what it says. And I I think that one you gave is a good example.
2: Okay. So... um... You have mentioned, you have mentioned uh, Isaiah 45, 7, and um, um, I guess my question is Is that uh, doesn't this prove that God, both, God created both good and evil, and why would
0: he create evil? He created man with the capacity to choose, and he did that so we can love. Remember, I tried to say to you, how can somebody love you? because they have a choice not to. There has to be choice, or the most important things to us cannot exist. And love is the easiest one, but there's a dozen other ones. And one of those is choosing between good and not good. We had a question earlier about, can evil exist without good? No, because you're dealing with a situation, the parity relationship is there's good, there has to be the absence of good. What is that? That is evil. But we have to have choice, or lots of things that are important to us as a human being are simply not there. And love is the classic example.
1: All right.
0: We one thing we got to get carried. Understand, the mind can only absorb what the seat can endure.
1: (laughs) Here's your last one, John. (laughs) Hello, John. Thank you for coming. I've very much enjoyed talking with you. Um, I believe it was Leibniz who said, and if I'm misquoting him, I apologize, that God is holy good and that this world is holy good. Do you agree with that assumption or statement? And if so, then how do we allow for evil that exists in this holy
0: good world? Evil does not exist unless there are humans to choose it. So with no humans present, the earth is good. Before man came on the scene, we didn't have war. We didn't have pollution. And I could spend a half an hour listing all things we wouldn't have had. The things that are evil are man created. The earth as a whole is not evil. And the animal kingdom is not evil. So it's humans that cause the trouble. And if you don't believe that, turn on the news. You know? I see another hand back there.
1: (laughs) He's trying to get us to do six questions. (laughs) Is it something you can ask him after? Oh, where to find the resources, John? Where all can they get the resources?
0: Uh, Over on my table over here, we have a list of websites and you can go to the websites there. I, I They're remain, right behind his head too. Right where, right where Robert is standing. Okay.
1: He's no Vanna.
0: <laughs> We do have catalogs, and you can always write us our addresses on the on the sheets.
1: And a lot of a lot of information he's covered. Also, they have like a. There's a lot of videos on the website where you can walk down through, and he walks down through a lot of the things he's talked about as well. We
0: have 14 websites. We have one, org that is linked to all the others. And one of them is the problem of pain and suffering. So, you know, yeah.
1: All right, so let's, uh, let's give John a hand.